Tonight's New Testament reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, and it can be found on page 2 of your bulletin. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, and I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old, young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, would you join me as we pray? God, we read, hear this passage, um, it makes us hungry to experience you in a powerful way, each of us, we pray that you would answer that prayer, as you're the one that's called us here, and it's your name, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, so you, you know when something is a big deal when it makes its way onto your calendar. Well, maybe that's not always the case, but usually it is. And uh, the fact that this event makes its way onto the historic Christian calendar helps us understand this is a big deal. In spring, we celebrate on the Christian calendar, Pentecost. 
And for the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to be talking about it. It's such a rich topic. Now, we're on this idea of uh, what does it mean to be the family of God? This idea that when God enters your life, he makes people not, Christians aren't nice people, they're new people. He reaches down, he makes us alive, alive to his love, alive to his kindness, alive to his grace, but he doesn't just do this work in the lives of individuals, he does it as a community. He makes a family of new people, one new people together. And the account of the book of Acts is that. It's not just the spread of Christianity, it's the transformation of a new people. And we're studying this in hopes that we'll become new. I mean, he's already doing this work, but we want more. We want to be made new. Yet, all of us are faced with the limitations. We lack the power. The old divisions of the world. Vex us too, right? It'd be nice to say that things like uh, prejudice and political bias and, uh, you know, historic lines of division and all the stuff we see didn't enter in the church or Christians, but it does. It would be nice to say that uh, Christian friends don't fight, but they do. It would be nice to say that Christian siblings, brothers and sisters, don't argue, but they do, Right? And we all feel the lack of power. I remember when my um, brother and I would fight, and my sister and I would fight. My brother and sister would fight. There was plenty of fighting going on. And my parents would just say, your brothers and sisters, just get along. And I, you know, I knew it was right, but it was also kind of angering to hear that. Because you're like, if I could, I would. Right? You just kind of, you feel like you lack the power. And one of the fundamental things that Jesus has to get into the head of his disciples before he sends them off is you don't have the power. He says to them, while he's with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then he continues, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses all over the world. Two key words you hear there, promise and power. Promise and power. And that's what I want to look at this evening. These lie behind the event of Pentecost and in particular, the author of the promise and the advantage of the promise. Let's look at those two things together, okay? First of all, the author of the promise. Last night, um, Meg and I went to see uh, the El Elvis movie. Has anybody seen the Elvis movie? Just like one person, okay. It was all right. There's so many movies out. Well, it was the first time we've been in a movie theater since... I think the whole pandemic. So that in itself was kind of cool. There were only six people in there. But, um, but you know, for those of you that don't, Elvis Presley, right, beginning of rock and roll, I can't really go into, if you don't know who he is, look him up, it's a big deal. 
But, you know, a big thing, a big part of the storyline that happens is Elvis's relationship with his mother. They're very close, but also, like, codependent. And um, Elvis promises her, listen, Mom, the, the money and the fame and all this stuff is not going to sweep me away. I'm going to be here to help you and always take care of you. And he does, I mean, he builds Graceland, this mansion, and, you know, all his friends are basically just kind of freeloading off him. He takes care of a lot of people. But in the end, he can't fulfill that promise. First of all, she dies of alcoholism before he does. And he dies at 42, swept away. No. He, he can't fulfill the very promise he wants to fulfill. I'll be there. I'll be your help. I'll be your advocate. This is the thing that Jesus promises to his people. And he fulfills the promise. I mean, this is, I think one of the, one of the hardest things for us, maybe, you know, is when you really want to help and be an advocate for someone in your own Inability and weakness prevent you. The good news is, is that doesn't happen with Jesus. That doesn't happen with our Lord. Um, all the longings, all the fulfillment, all the promises that were standing over and over, they're fulfilled. So in the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is symbolized by the wind, the Holy Spirit isn't the wind. There are different words that are used. In the wind and in the tongues of fire, what do they represent? I think there's lots of things that come into our mind, but I want to say that there's something primary it's supposed to represent. And we see it in the prophecies that Jesus claims upon himself. So we're told here by the prophet Joel that the pouring out of the Spirit was something that was predicted long ago, a long time ago. It's fulfilled prophecy, but, but what's at the heart of it? Let me mention two things. Luke is writing a two-volume work. We've said that. And in this two-volume work, he has Jesus uh, laying claim, laying claim to two things that are in the background of Pentecost. One is seen at the end of his gospel. Jesus said to them, his disciples, it is written that the Christ, or the Messiah, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from high. Jesus does this. First of all, he claims that the great prophecies of the Old Testament, for instance, Isaiah, belong to him. That the servant of the Lord would come and offer his life. Isaiah would say the servant would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds... 
we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus' death wasn't an accident. Jesus' death was a promise. It was a promise from God. A promise that he would send someone to deal with our guilt and our sin and our failings. The servant of the Lord. And then we're told, for those that repent and receive him, the spirit of the Lord will be poured out upon them. And this is where we get to Joel. The, the, the prophecy of Joel talks about the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord, that phrase, is used in different ways in the Bible. There's the day of the Lord, like that's the final day in the future, where everybody will stand before God, and those that have been the friends of God will be delivered finally and those that have been enemies of God will be judged. That's the capital D, Day of the Lord. But all through the history of the church, there are small D's, Days of the Lord. And one of those was during Joel's time, when Israel and the nations were just like rebelling against God. And God said, you're going to suffer judgment, but for all those that turn to me, there'll be mercy. And that mercy is seen in the pouring out of God's Spirit. This is what Peter references. And these are the two promises that Jesus claims to fulfill. Now let me put it in this way and try to put a bow on it. Because I know I took you down a, a road here. In ancient times, conquering kings, after they beat the enemy and plunder, they would often give gifts to their people. The book of Ephesians says that Jesus is the conquering king. He conquers evil, death, and judgment, and he gives the gift of all gifts to his people, the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God. So, back to my initial question. When people think of the Spirit of God, as Christians in those church, I think many times what comes to mind are things like power, or spiritual gifts, or insight and praise. And it's true, he is the spirit of power. He is the spirit of insight. He is the spirit of joy. But before all of that, he is the spirit of promise. And why is that important? Because it reminds us that Jesus can be trusted. That Jesus can be trusted. What we're being told here, if we follow the chain, is Jesus executes his mission completely faithfully. He does everything the Father had him to do. And so death can't lay hold of him. And he raises from the dead and he ascends to the throne of God, having all the rights that he deserves. And he reigns his kingdom now from heaven and it's advancing. And because he's done that, he can send the promise upon. He won the promise. He earned the promise. And the Spirit is first and foremost a testimony that Jesus did it right. Jesus has the authority. Jesus is reigning. Jesus is in control. 
And so if you experience the Holy Spirit in any measure, the first thing it ought to remind you is he has been faithful and trustworthy to me. But it also helps us in this way. The big P promise helps us as we wait for all the small P promises in our lives. Right? All of us are waiting. And in this way, you're in good company, company with the saints. Abraham had to wait for decades till he had a child, but even then, we're told, he was still waiting because, you know, once he had the child, man, that was great, but he found, you know, I'm hungry for something more. I'm hungry for a city whose architect is God. And he had to wait. David had to wait. David would have someone that would rule on the throne, Solomon, but David had a longing that there would be someone that would rule forever on his throne. He had to wait. That would be Jesus. In many ways, friends, the primary thing that we have to do as Christians is wait. And it's the hardest thing, right? Because it's in the waiting that we're tested. It's the waiting where we're like, I can't wait anymore for this, and we reach for that. Or we just get mean and ugly. But the Holy Spirit, when you sense him and he's with you, it's a reminder to you, no. That capital P promises remind you, they're coming. Those promises will be fulfilled. He carries us to that end. So, that's the author of the promise. I want to get to the advantage of the promise. And I've got four things to say here. So John, in one of the other Gospels, recounts a conversation that Jesus has with his followers. And you know, Jesus, it's really cool to kind of read the Gospels and just see where these guys are just like getting it and not getting it. Because again, I think it makes us realize, all right, you know, that's us. And so Jesus would say many things at times to them, and they'd be like, She's saying that because we didn't bring bread. No, that's not why I'm saying it. You know, they'd miss it. And, and so he would tell them regularly, I'm going to leave. Like, you're not going to see me anymore. I'm going to go. And he says to them this, and maybe they understand it because they're filled with sorrow. I mean, their whole lives have been hitched to him. They're just overwhelmed with grief and sorrow. And he says to them, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage. Now, how in the world? You got Jesus. There's no one greater or better than Jesus. The Son of God, the prophet, the Lord, the one that heals people, the one that raises people from the dead. And here he is going, it'll actually be good for you, to your benefit, to your advantage, if I go. This, this is going to be good. This better be like really good. It's got to be good. It's got to be good. It's your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. If I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And Jesus summarizes the advantage with the word Power. Power. Let me suggest four ways the promise is seen in power. First of all, the power of presence. 
the power of having God present with you. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. If you are, if you have put, if you have put your lot in with Jesus, there are no orphans in the family of God. It's an impossibility. Uh, I think Mike mentioned or Andrew mentioned earlier, um, I don't know if there's anything worse than aloneness. It's actually one of the features of hell. Um, To be lonely. To be like literally lonely, have nobody. Or to be lonely in your struggle. To be lonely in your anxiety. To be lonely in your longings. To be lonely to be known. Sin alienates us from God and it alienates us from other people and it renders you an orphan. That's what sin does. It orphanizes all of us. And we're told through Jesus something marvelous happens. Through a relationship with Jesus, you get adopted into the family of God. Jesus said at that point, he and the Father will come and make their home inside of us. They'll make their family inside of us. The Apostle Paul would say that only the Spirit of God knows the Father and the Son. Only the Spirit of God really knows the Father and the Son. Why? Because he's not an it. He is a person. He's the third person of the community, which is God. United, intimately, eternally, knowing and loving one another. That is their relationship. That's what it's like for them. And they take that and they move in. They move into your life. That's who is present by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the reason Jesus says that this is an advantage is because on earth, Jesus could only be, he, he subjected himself to finite human stuff, so he could only be in a place at a time, right? But now the presence of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit can be with every believer around the world all the time in the way that you need him to be. The Holy Spirit's a big deal. The Holy Spirit is the very presence of the Father and Son to come and be with you. He's been given to you. The Father and Son are near to you. You're at home with them. The power of presence. We can get through anything if we feel like someone's present with us. When people are on their deathbed, what do they want? Stay with me. He's present. The power of presence. The second one is the power of partnership or the power of team. You know, I love a great shot. So I I mentioned a couple, uh, last week I think I mentioned, I went to a lacrosse game. 
and I think I spoke wrong, lacrosse isn't the oldest sport in the world. I think it's the oldest sport in America, maybe. (laughs) Wrestling, like, is really early. People were wrestling is early. Uh, That's just funny to me. I just think about that. Um, But, you know, as much as you love a great shot, you know what's even better? Pass, 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 shot. That to me is like artistry. It's not just the shot, it's like, wow, wow. I love how in hockey, you know, they give the assist. They always mention who was the assist. Or you, if you want to put it movie style, you know, as much as we love all the Avengers separately, it's really cool when they come together. Because it's the power of partnership, it's the power of team. So in the Old Testament, the spirit would fall upon the ordained priest or the ordained prophet for a time and for a spirit. But Joel says, now in this new age, the last days, and the last days started with the ministry of Jesus, we are in the last days, the last age. And Joel says, in that age, the spirit will be giving liberally across age, Gender, class, nationality. God will pour out his spirit, the priesthood of all believers. That means a five-year-old has as much of the Holy Spirit as I have. God, God is so generous, he pours him out upon his people. And that's what we see. The 120 are praying, the apostles, the women leaders in the room, and they begin to praise and declare the good news of the kingdom. It's an expanded priesthood. And this is part of the new covenant where God's grace just goes from a stream in the Old Testament to a flood. We're living in the time of the flood in the best way. The flood of grace. I have to remind myself of this. You know, my moping and whining and thinking, oh, yeah, yeah. There cannot be a better time to be a believer than now because of the age that we live in. And we had a, we had a taste of that yesterday at our day of vision. The Spirit speaking through men, through women, through young, through old. Someone of this ethnicity and that ethnicity. And not just like giving praise and gratitude. The vision itself was the compilation of God's people. The spirit working through our leadership. Coming through our people. The power of team. Okay, let me move on. The power of transformation. I've talked about this a little bit. But let me, let me give you some background here. So Pentecost was associated with when Moses climbed Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments. It was associated with that. Moses was the go-between, the mediator. And the law was how the covenant, the relationship between Israel and God was to be governed, how they were supposed to live toward God, one another, their neighbor, and before the nations. Moses ascends Mount Sinai. There's thunder. There's probably wind. There's flashes. Sound familiar? He ascends, and the law of the covenant come. And what do we have here? Jesus, the great capital M mediator, the go-between God and everybody that puts their faith in him, ascends high. But the revelation isn't the law. The revelation is the spirit 
He gives the Spirit. He inaugurates a new covenant, a new age. The Holy Spirit displaces the law. Doesn't mean the law of God doesn't have a purpose, but it displaces the law as the way that you and I are transformed. This is what Ezekiel said. Listen to the prophet Ezekiel. I will take you, I mean, this is like so Pentecost. I will take you from the nations, this is the Lord, and gather you from all the countries. I will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle, sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you. Forgiveness that Jesus talked about. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put him within you. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. This is what the book of Galatians is about. This is why Paul is so hot when he writes to the Galatians because they're going back to the law, the tablets going, that's what's going to change us. And he's going, no, the spirit of God has come. The spirit of grace who takes all the things that Jesus has done for us, all the benefits of God's grace, the sonship and the air and God's love for you in a way that was never expressed before and God's sacrifice for you and the fact that he forgives you not just once but a bazillion times all those things the Holy Spirit is preaching to you all the time and that's what transforms you that's what transforms me and you are you struggling to change in some way I am How are you trying to change? He has promised that the Holy Spirit that lives inside you will take the good news of the kingdom and preach it to your heart. And he, from the inside out, will help you to walk in a way that's life-giving and transformative. But lastly, the power of progress, for lack of a better phrase. This event, Pentecost, was the second annual harvest on the Jewish calendar. And there were a large, there's some calculations, could have been a million, a large number of Jewish pilgrims and Gentile converts that came all over the world for that festival. I mean, he mentions like 15 different regions, which would represent today like modern Iran, Turkey, Iraq, Syria, Kazakhstan, all these different places. And so, you know, they're in town, they're walking by this house and they hear, whether it's the windows are open or people through the doors or the joys coming out, but they hear the declarations of God, the praise of God coming from these people that don't speak their languages, from Galileans. And they're like, how are we hearing this? First of all, they're just stunned and amazed. They're just like, what is this? You know, these, they're praising God, they're filled with the God of Spirit, they're declaring the gospel, and they're just like, what in the world is going on here? And the tongues, they've been given this gift to speak. Now, let me just say something about tongues, because if you're familiar with the Christian church, it's like a big, hairy mess. Meaning, like, you know, it's a big topic. We can't even really go into it. You know, some would say, well, tongues are, you know, they were languages, but also it's like a heavenly language that happens in prayer. Some denominations would say, like, tongues is a sign that you're a genuinely a Christian. That's wrong. The disciples were already believers, and then the tongues, right? 
But whatever, whatever tradition you come from, we know this much. In this passage, they are real languages. And I would say in most of my study of the scripture, that's kind of where it falls. They have a purpose. Real languages. Now, you know language is both connecting and limiting. We hold this service in English. For some of you, that's your second language. For some people, if they don't speak English, well, they can't get in. It's a limiting thing, right? I remember when I uh, spent a summer in Africa and when we would move out into the bush area, um, I just sat there in the service. I just listened and I watched the believers because I didn't understand the language. Language can be a limiting thing, right? But it also can be a connecting thing, can it? Because, you know, if someone speaks in your heart language, it means a lot to you, right? Notice what happens here. On the first day of the church, Jesus refuses to speak in one language. He refuses to speak in one language. Why? Because the gospel and the heart of the gospel is for all peoples and all nations. And he wants them to hear it in their language. And here the cross-cultural gospel is unleashed because what happens, right, is these pilgrims hear the gospel and then they spread all over the world. And guess what? We're part of the fulfillment here because of all those centuries of that. But I don't want it to be lost upon us that when the Holy Spirit falls, the first thing that happens is God begins to move cross-culture. First thing that happens when the Holy Spirit falls is the Spirit falls upon and God immediately begins to move cross-culturally because he is zealous. He doesn't wait a minute. Jesus is going to start gathering his pan-ethnic bride. And I would say the Holy Spirit as well hasn't stopped that. We see it by the, the work around the world of missions, global missions, as we partner with our mission partners. You see it through the centuries, but also it's seen in the heart of a congregation that says, I want to know, I want to know your, the heart of your culture, your cultural story. I want us to share the gospel that way. So I would say that a sign of the Holy Spirit being present in our community is that we were growing in cross-cultural intelligence and love. The Spirit does that when he falls. And you'll have some opportunity too. We, we have things going on to help facilitate that. And so, promise and power, this is just a little bit of what the Holy Spirit brings to us. We'll pick it up next week. Lord, thank you that you did all things well. You're ascended on your throne. You did everything necessary so that the the promised one could be sent. 
and we, I pray for my brothers and sisters, myself, especially those that feel like they're waiting and just groaning as they're waiting. I pray your presence would be a reminder of the small p promises that are coming. But you would pour out your spirit upon us. Fulfill your power in our midst, in Christ's name, for his sake. Amen.